today on the Ward Preacher Podcast, Love, Unity, and the Holy Ghost. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Ward Preacher Podcast. All right, this week's material in Come Follow Me covers John chapters 13 through 17. Uh, This is um, really good material. John is uh, a little bit different from the other Gospels. and, uh, And the way that he portrays how Jesus teaches, I think, gives us some really valuable insight. Jesus communicated things that he knew would not be immediately clear, but would, as additional study was applied, reveal more and more. Uh, And of course, that study was meant to be accompanied by the Holy Ghost. Let's go ahead and get started looking at a few of these teachings. First off, uh, Jesus's teachings about love. One of the uh, experiences that Jesus uh, had was washing the feet of his apostles. And in John chapter 13, verses 12 through 15, it reads, So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. I think that's really important. This is the Son of God doing a very menial task. And there's symbolism there, and we we could think about uh, the ordinance of value that this represents, uh, and there's merit in that. But uh, I would like to focus on the idea that Jesus was willing to do something very menial um, to help communicate the idea that the master is not above uh, the servant, and he that is chiefest, let him be servant. Um, I've heard a lot of people, particularly I heard, I think it was a recent speech by uh, one of the one of the princesses in England talking about feminism and uh, how offensive the idea of homemaking was cooking and laundry and cleaning and childcare that women are capable of much more. And there's truth in that. Uh, We don't want to say that women should only be allowed to do certain jobs. Uh, That's inaccurate. Women are capable of doing more. But as I have grown older, I have come to realize how much love my mother expressed to us by turning our house into a home. There's no salary that can accurately measure the value that she added to our family. And a lot of that was doing these menial tasks, cooking, the cooking food that sometimes we would complain about, laundry that we would not carefully, you know, care for our clothing, 
uh, cleaning up after us, taking care of us when we were sick or needed help. She did a lot of things without a lot of thanks from us, something that I have uh, certainly have felt regret for not expressing more gratitude for what she did. Certainly with my own family, the purpose of my salary that I earn is largely to allow my wife to do what she does with our home and family. Meals and clean clothes and clean and maintained home, these are, they couldn't be, they could be viewed as menial tasks. Um, and to a degree they are. They're thankless and, and, uh, and tedious, but they can also be expressions of true love. And this is the sort of love that Jesus was trying to teach about, being willing to do difficult and even thankless things because we care about other people. This isn't just preaching to women. Men should not shy away from participating in these tasks and in working with their families to engineer ways that these tasks can be easier. I think of a lot of the modern conveniences that we have that uh, free us from some of the tedious tasks that pioneers in older times had to do. Of course, we stand on their shoulders and what they laid a foundation uh, for, but certainly we have an obligation to try and help our families to, to make the most of that, to make a, a, a higher focus where possible on the love component of that in helping one another selflessly. This is exactly the example that Jesus gave. Um, another passage that describes love is in uh, John chapter 15. He says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Jesus is not being manipulative here, even though it sort of seems that way. You know, I'll, if you love me, you'll do what I say. That seems a little bit manipulative, but it's not. And there are several contexts in which that statement can be viewed. Um, I will be coming out with an article on the Word Preacher blog and uh, and uh, uh, probably Tiancom's Javelin blog um, as well regarding a little bit more on um, on some other contexts that help us understand this, if you love me, keep my commandments. But that having been said, one, one context that can help us understand it is simply looking at the verses around it. The verse immediately preceding this says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And in order to receive the grace that Jesus Christ wants to give us, we do have to accept and follow him. If we love him, if we would receive that grace, we do have to keep his commandments. No one can say, oh, Jesus saved me, I love Jesus, while simultaneously betraying every principle and commandment and teaching that he stood for. And he truly did stand for doing the things that his father asked. Uh, a part of love should be 
taking that into consideration, taking the commandments of God serious. All right, the next uh, aspect that I'd like to discuss is unity. Um, there are some important verses throughout this, but a couple that I'd like to focus on are in John chapter 17, the intercessory prayer. Uh, this is Jesus praying to his Father, and I'd like to couple of, cover a couple of verses. This is in John chapter 17, verse 11. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep thou thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. Going down to verses 20 and 21, it says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they may all be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, some have interpreted uh, that the Father and the Son are the same person. However, if we look at this chapter just by itself, Jesus would have no need to pray to someone else if he were the Father. Um, let alone express that uh, others might be one in the same way that the Father and Son are. He's obviously talking about the apostles and those who will believe in the apostles. Does he want them to be one person? No, he wants them to be united. United. The Father and Son are distinct, but the Son is united with the Father and always does those things that please him. And in this sense, because of the trust that Jesus um, has earned through his own merits, he can even speak as though he were the Father. Consider this passage in John chapter 14. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen the Father, he that hath seen me, hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Now, obviously, how could he speak not of himself unless there was a distinct other? And in combination with that, how could he say, he that hath seen the Father hath, or rather, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father, um, unless he's describing some sort of unity? instead of a literal oneness of person? How could it be anything other than perfect unity that he prayed to his Father that uh, the same oneness would be realized by his apostles and those who believe in him? Obviously, this is a oneness in purpose, oneness in faith, not a oneness in person. 
So when we're thinking about unity and what Jesus wanted for his apostles and for those who believed in his apostles and ultimately everyone, it's not diversity he was praying for. Diversity is not a strength. It's an obstacle to overcome. In fact, people tend to think better or worse of themselves based on diverse circumstances or worse, immutable characteristics. Um, it's, it's been an obstacle for many people for as long as humanity has been. This is one of the primary obstacles that we have to overcome is letting go of pride that allows us to compare one another based on our diverse circumstances or immutable characteristics. Um, people are better when they help one another to the best of their abilities, when they ignore and overcome differences in favor of service and compassion. The goal is to overcome diversity through unity, that we share faith, that we come to a common understanding that ultimately everyone be like Jesus. There is no problem that our society has that would not be solved if we were all like Jesus. All right. The third topic that I would like to discuss is the Holy Ghost. There are several passages in uh, the material this week that talk about this. Here's one in John chapter 14. He says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. The same divine investiture of authority that allows Jesus to speak as the Father is also extended to the Holy Ghost, uh, which I think is part of the reason he can be called the Spirit of Truth or the Spirit of God. It's also notable the world cannot see or know him, but he can be known by those who do receive him. Of course, as we get into the book of Acts and talk about uh, the early church, we will talk more about the gift of the Holy Ghost and how critical that was. Uh, but let's look at a, a couple more verses here in John. This is in John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So when we think about all of the roles that Jesus is teaching that the Holy Ghost has, it does include comfort. And obviously for the apostles, that's going to be critical. Uh, in, in this part of the story, it will be a matter of days before he is brutally tortured and killed. And uh, the apostles are going to need some help. And it will come uh, in many forms. One of the most significant is the Holy Ghost. Uh, he's also a teacher, the ability to bring new knowledge to our minds. 
Now, it does typically require that we do a little bit of studying out, that we think about it. We can see this um, up applied in the promise that Moroni makes in uh, the 10th chapter of his book regarding the entire Book of Mormon, that if we pray with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, acting no hypocrisy or no guile before him, and we ask uh, if the Book of Mormon is true, he will manifest to us by the power of the Holy Ghost that it is true. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, he may know the truth of all things. I think that's really important that, uh, that we can get new information. God has not just abandoned us and said, you know, look at these old books. Um, that isn't to dismiss the old books. They are really, really important. And, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But it is notable that God has the power and uses the power to speak directly to those who diligently seek him. He is a teacher. Also, he helps us to recall things, to bring back, uh, bring back past knowledge. And I think that's equally important, particularly when we have so much that he has already revealed, recorded in the scriptures. Uh, and this isn't just in modern times. This is also uh, in ancient times. When we think of the road to Emmaus, the disciples that spoke with Christ, and he unfolded all of the prophecies that were there, and they recognized who he was as he's talking about these prophecies that refer to Jesus, and then he vanishes from their sight. And they turn to one another, and the response is notable. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scripture? Because the Holy Ghost helped them bring that back to their mind. They could see, even after the fact, uh, what the truth was. The Spirit can bring to our hearts and minds things that we have read from the scriptures or words of the prophets, and it will surprise us uh, how in times of need, these are the words that come to our hearts and minds, courtesy of the Holy Ghost. Um, also a witness. The Holy Ghost is a witness. Uh, in John chapter 15, Jesus teaches, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. I think that's important. A lot of people look at, well, how can you know that something is true based on, you know, just some feeling of the Holy Ghost? Other people have different feelings. And of course, if we were to extend that to any other uh, sense by which we make assessment of the world around us, like flavor, for example, um, you get two people and one of them eats a piece of fish and wants to spit it out, and another eats a piece of fish and thinks that it is literal manna from heaven, the most delicious thing ever. And the same is true for many things. Um, being able to recognize when something comes from God is something that takes a little practice. 
but fortunately most of us live longer than a day, and we can use the time that we have in our lives uh, at the direction of prophets and apostles to study in the scriptures particularly times when God has communicated things. And we can draw parallels between that and when God speaks to us, expecting the same things of us, because his gospel is timeless. Faith, penitence, the ordinances of the gospel, a commitment to obedience. When you feel a certain way as you read the words of the scriptures and the testimonies of the prophets, uh, you can relate those feelings and thoughts and experiences to when you need other guidance from God that you seek through prayer and study and meditation. Um, he will witness of the truth. He will help you know what is right. The Holy Ghost is truly one of the greatest gifts that God can offer to us, the, his companionship. Um, of course, in conclusion, the Holy Ghost is critical uh, in helping people to know the truth about Jesus Christ. Uh, it's particularly important, even in the early church, uh, when the apostles needed people to understand the truth of Jesus, and only a small number of people actually saw him during his mortal ministry. Like them, we frequently rely on the Holy Ghost. Even now, following the spirit of truth can help us overcome the obstacles that keep us separate and divided, selfish and prideful. We have the ability as we follow the spirit to put those differences aside and become more united as Christ and his apostles, or ultimately as the Father and the Son. And of course, last, the Holy Ghost brings God's love to us across time and space and helps us to develop charity for those around us, inspire us to give meaningful service, and to keep his commandments. Next week, we will look at Matthew chapter 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 18, focusing on the atonement of our Master Jesus Christ. Thank you to all those who support the Word Preacher podcast, and of course to those who study the Come Follow Me material, uh, which is the ultimate goal. Follow Jesus, study his material, apply the things that we have talked about, and as always, fight on.